0: You are listening to the Enormo Cast.
1: The EnormoCast is proud to be partnered with Sportiva. And here's the thing. There's only one shoe that has climbed the hardest routes on El Cap, including something called the Dawn Wall. And that shoe is the TC Pro, designed by Tommy Caldwell and produced in a hollowed-out volcano in Italy by blind zoastrian nuns. These are the shoes that our friend Hayden Kennedy once called crampons for granite. But the TC Pro is just one of so many legendary shoes in the Sportiva line. The Miras, the Testerosas, the Solutions, the Mythos, and something new called the Squama. What's a Squama? Who cares? It's Italian. So please support the EnormaCast by going to sportiva.com or your favorite climbing retailer to check out the full line of Sportiva shoes. And then quit screwing around and buy a pair. And come play with the big kids. Does your partner suffer from tried again syndrome? Or one hangitis? Or even worse, delusional performance disorder? Well, there really isn't a cure for DPD, except for a good smackdown. But it does probably mean that you've been belaying them for hours and hours on end and are now suffering from BNP, or belayer neck pain. A stiffness in the cervical spine just below the occipital region of your thick, thick skull. But now there's a cure for BNP resulting from DPD. Ask your doctor about belay specs. And when he doesn't know what the hell you're talking about, just smile and tuck that prescription for opiates away for your next overseas plane flight. But then ask several strangers about belay specs. Ask that cute barista at the coffee shop on the corner about belay specs. In fact, ask everyone you know about Belay Specs. Keep talking about Belay Specs until nobody wants to climb with you anyway. Problem solved. But if that doesn't work, then go to belayspecs.com and get yourself a pair. And don't forget to enter a normal cast at checkout for a discount and to help out the podcast. Side effects may include people thinking you're staring at them when you're not, old track climbers rolling their eyes, people putting them on for the first time and saying, ooh, that's trippy, people insisting they don't like those weird glasses even though they've never even tried them. If you feel drowsy, nauseous, rumbling in your stomach, horny, confused, or have strange, vivid dreams, this probably has nothing to do with Belay Specs, and is more likely from that bug you picked up in that backpacker's hostel in Rio after five too many caipariñas. BelaySpecs.com. Say adeus to Blair Neck Pain. We gotta get Listen, where are you playing in town? Are you playing here? We're doing the uh, Enormo the Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. It's oh yeah, a big place that side side of town. Very that's a big nice. place. You sold, oh, it, sold it out. out. i so really
0: should... Uh, Look, you better get up there before you panic, so those hands are loose. <laughs> You're very good. I have really enjoyed family with you. We'll make it. I don't think so. But we shall continue with style. Good weather. Bad weather. Now or later, anytime. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment with support from Maxim Ropes
1: and the fine folks at La Sportiva. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and enter Enorma at checkout for a discount on great coffee and to support the Enorma cast.
0: And now back to the show.
1: Hello and welcome to the EnormaCast, this is your host Chris Calouse. It is May 15th, about 10.30, mountain time, mountain standard time, mountain daylight time, mountain daylight time, that's what it is. Anyway, on today's show, episode 104 of the EnormaCast, a conversation with Inez Papert, Papert, Inez Papert. Inez tried to teach me how to say it.
0: Inez Papert. Or ines Peppard. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Perfect. A small bit of contempt in her voice for American accents. But before we get to that, actually, I don't have a lot of business today, again, because things are just kind of rolling along over here at Shea and Norma as best we can. May or may not have dropped an episode. I don't know. We'll see if I can reel it back in or not at the end of the year. We'll find out. Um, I think I can. But yeah, things are a little bit uh, tricky to get this stuff done here at the uh, headquarters. So we're working on that. We're trying to figure out a new routine. The old routine where Chris gets to do whatever the hell he wants. That one's out the door. We've got to replace that one. So anyhow, the only other thing on the horizon, actually, uh, I'm in negotiation for some stuff. But uh, really, I'm just looking at Lander way out in July. Going up to Lander as usual, bringing the mobile studio and the entourage. And I don't know if I'm going to do anything official or not, but either way, try to get up there. And hopefully, the mobile studio makes it again this year. It's its longest trip of the year. And uh, she, you know, she's an old bird, she doesn't fly quite as smoothly as she once did. So it's always fun to try to limp that thing up there. Anyhow, hopefully, you we'll see you there. If you're interested in that, you probably want to make your plans now. So uh, go to Climbers Festival dot org. I believe it's dot org. It might be dot com, but I think it's dot org. Anyway, search it out. The Lander Climbing Festival, always a good time, and uh, I do enjoy seeing everybody up there. So come check that out. Anyway, on to the uh, interview with Inez. Inez, a German climber, uh, not that well known here in the states. An excellent ice climber, a very good alpinist, and a good rock climber. So an all arounder Started a little bit late in life, and is also a mom, mother to a teenager. So that's kind of impressive as well. At least that's the way I'm thinking these days. Climbed a couple days with Nez down in the desert and got this one in the mobile studio down in Moab. So another international one from the EnormaCast. Here at the EnormaCast, we truly believe in the all-audio podcasting format where you can listen while you drive, work, wash your cat, or even prance or size. We're going to really cut the noose and let it loose with the prancer-sized gallop. But climbing nerds do not live on words alone, which is why Black Diamond invites you to tune in to BDTV, a video series that delves beyond the numbers into the personalities and motivations behind our beloved sport. The latest episode, The Width of Life, features former guest in front of the show, Dan Mirsky, as he does his best to honor our great, fallen friend, Dave Peg. This one talks a little bit about climbing and a lot about friendship. So check out Dan's efforts at BDTV on YouTube, Vimeo, BlackDiamondEquipment.com, or whatever time vortex you go to to get your video entertainment. That's BDTV featuring the characters behind the lines. So, were you uh, an alpine climber right from the beginning?
0: I think I've been started climbing with the alpine like you know my first alpine set was skis and skins and poles and i loved skiing but yeah there was still the summer season i was kind of lost not lost but i got into hiking when i was 20 years old and pretty soon i noticed oh hiking is fun but it's not as you know challenging it's kind of at some point it got boring to me and I exp- I've pretty much explored the place where I live now in Bavaria uh, on my own feet right <laughs> and I've, but I have see, always seen these amazing cliffs and I was like what the hell why I'm walking around instead of just climbing straight up and at some point of my life I met those um, local climbers and got into the community and finally started climbing
1: well t- describe Bavaria to me I mean I it's Germany obviously but mm-hmm. uh, you know whenever I talk to to I mean a lot of Europeans and Americans or whoever you know we identify with our region mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. so tell me about Bavaria I mean it's it's a word and a like a place we've all heard of here
0: of course and most people some people might have been there but uh you know I am not a local Bavarian oh, okay but I kind of went there when I I was 20 years old, and I fell totally in love with that place. It's kind of hilly mountains, but getting steeper as further you go into the south. It's the southeast part of Germany, and uh, it's supposed to have always blue sky, and people drink lots of beer, like sausages, and, but, uh, yeah, that doesn't, you know, that's kind of a traditional mm-hmm. thing. I mean, music. that's what,
1: isn't it like, you know, here in the States, we have sort of this old image of like old Germany. Like, yeah, beer drinking, Oktoberfest, Lederhosen. Of course. That that's like it, right? They it's have a Bavaria, really like, narrow
0: like, tradition yeah. with their clothing and celebrating several holidays. A lot of accordion. A lot of accordion. My son plays the accordion and he lives part of that. Uh, tradition right since his father is original Bavarian
1: okay yeah Yeah. so well he's your son that you told me that the other day your son was 15 and he's like really into the accordion and really into competitions and things like that which you must realize like kind of makes you makes us smile like okay a kid a 15 year old teenager like rocking the accordion <laughs> is Like something we would not run into here. Like if you were, if you were gonna make your kid play the accordion, like he would not be happy about it. But we have, but you guys have this tradition. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. He, yeah, you know, the drum is way more trendy and yeah. playing guitar and stuff, but he, yeah, he's a total traditional guy and he loves it and he does it really well. But I started, when I was a child, I did lots of music as well. Mm-hmm. So, um you know, doesn't hurt with doing something else. You can still do... Uh, Explore the outdoors and right. that what he does from his start of his life right. with his parents, pretty much. And I, I really appreciate that he's also into. He, he was and he's still into mountain biking, and he loves skiing. And finally, ended up two years ago, falling in love with climbing when mm-hmm. we went on a trip to Spain, and he's super psyched. And we climb now. We we just climb as. As buddies, as climbing partners, right. as climbing friends. Good. And, yeah, it's really. N- Really nice to watch him growing into that kind of what I'm loving to do. You took uh, uh, Manu Emmanuel. Mm -hmm. He, you took him to uh, the states
1: early on when he was a little kid. He wasn't that into the climbing, but he was like into kind of some of the Western traditions here, (laughs) including like that everybody drove great big trucks.
0: Yeah, we we uh, we flew into Salt Lake City when he was five years old, and we're supposed to climb in in the desert in in Indian Creek, and we uh, arrived and he was like wow they have huge trucks and he was so annoyed that we had this kind of average um rental car right like <laughs> the a cheap guy the little or thing. something yeah like a little <laughs> so we went to the desert oh i yeah, just made it getting in there and then we met all those great people like rapism and many others who had this huge trucks and he was so in love with those trucks and everybody took him on a ride and into the desert and he was just psyched about it he's still speaking about that (laughs) 10 years ago
1: (laughs) (laughs) right well he's gonna i I mean yeah he's probably gonna have to move here if he wants a big truck it's (laughs) it's always like I know why they don't have trucks over there because you wouldn't be able to get into any of those cities in Europe. You wouldn't you wouldn't wedged between two like, you know, houses from the Middle Ages. Like, and be done with it. And
0: you would have a hard time paying the bills <laughs> yeah, as well. Yeah, <laughs> that's true.
1: Yeah. So it's funny because I I I travel there enough, and you know I'm always comparing the differences. But even stuff like that, we take it so for granted here. But um, yeah, I, as a, I mean, any little boy is into trucks and and. You know, toy trucks and diggers and everything else. So he probably was pretty blown away. So,
0: but I was pretty much blown away by the uh, American mentality when I came here ten years ago, because mm-hmm. we met all those great characters. And I remember I've been speaking to my friends. I don't know who I did speak about it, but um it was Easter, and we have this traditional chocolate Easter bunny, like three foot high, and. People kids kind of expecting that right but i couldn't get it here and it was just annoying for me to not offer my son a three foot long easter bunny made out of chocolate so we finally ended up
1: plus he'd seen all the rabbits on the road yes he was so like the the bunny
0: is here (laughs) he's here
1: somewhere yeah
0: (laughs) so we woke up the easter morning and opened the tent and there was this huge easter bunny I have no idea who brought it. Uh, I guess some of my friends figured out where to get it here in the States, and he was just
1: happy. And you still don't know who put it there?
0: I still don't you know You just who suspect
1: it, put it, it was one of those folks like Luke or...
0: Probably. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's pretty cool. The... the um... You know, we were talking about how Indian Creek, uh, we were just down there yesterday and, and uh, climbing in like deep snow. Uh, turned out to be a great day. But, you know, it's become this really international destination. And I think more in the last five years. So like 10 years ago, um, both, you know from your point of view of going there and being kind of the only people from Europe or elsewhere but also back then it it definitely felt really special and and like anywhere in the world when people from some other place show up i think mostly climbers want to show off there Zone, you know, oh, you're here. We also used to love it, still do because you know, they Europeans generally come and they have a hard time at first. Um, that's getting less and less of a problem for them, but yeah, a lot of times it's also fun for us because you know, we're like, all right, let's school these guys and you know, these like rats, overhanging limestone sport climbers, we're gonna go shut them down here and there on some of our cracks. And sometimes they get, you know, they get it. I've known guys to come over, especially men, actually, as usual, (laughs) to come over, and it it really bums them out. It really, like, they they feel like they should be climbing a certain grade, and to climb less is really upsetting to them
0: that's pretty much happened uh, what happened to us yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to warm up on a 510 as we or 511 as we do in europe sure we like yeah,
1: 60 or 60 plus or you yeah know.
0: but that was the time i pretty much noticed i had to get more into crack climbing because mm-hmm. i always wanted to be an um, uh, all-around climber mm-hmm. you know to not be to not get stuck on a mountain face because i'm not able to keep holding on crimpers or climbing a crack or getting into a hard ice pitch or mixed pitch. And that was always been a reason I wanted to practice more sure. track climbing.
1: Yeah, I mean... Yeah, if and that's gonna, the reason why I'm yeah. here
0: now, because I, I thought you could teach me some ring lockers.
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, we really tried. <laughs> we got another lesson this afternoon, so <laughs> we'll go see, what, we'll see how it goes. The yeah. ring locks, yeah, we can, you don't need to get into... Technique on on this podcast about ring locks, but they're very frustrating. And in Indian Creek, you know, it's as pure as it gets. So I think what you'll find, because you're on your way to Patagonia um, in a couple days uh, to climb, you know, a big, mostly big rock route. And, you know, whatever you did pick up here in the last couple days, you throw in some feet, which granite usually has, and a little bit of variation to the crack, and you'll probably be fine. Yeah. 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 Because it's just the pure, Nothing but crack thing here is is as you remember from ten years ago when you're here the first time is is uh, frustrating for people for sure and painful too. But
0: at the same time we've been crying when we had to get off the desert. We've been here for six weeks and it's been right. such a such an amazing time and I love this place and I love to come back. Yeah. But yeah. Now it's time to go to Patagonia.
1: Yeah, I know. You got to leave in a couple of days, although it's felt somewhat Patagonian here in terms of it being freezing cold the whole time you've been here. And um, that's kind of got shut down uh, for the last couple of weeks in her training. But um, I want to go circle back to what we were talking about before we started talking about climbing with your son. Um, what What kind of tradition is like Bavarian climbing, uh, in terms of when you said, okay, I've decided to climb these walls instead of walking around them and started meeting climbers. What was it like down there? Because I think we associate, uh, tradition is a big part of German climbing, but I also know it's all regional, Mm -hmm. um, because all of us, uh, you know, we, we jump in and think, start thinking about the knots and, you know, um, which is in, uh, what's the place that place that's got the not nodding tradition in the Ah,
0: saxonia right right
1: right. so but i also know that you know the franken euro is also a a big birthplace of sport climbing so yeah
0: you know we have all those kinds of tradition in germany or in europe let's say Mm -hmm. and it's very local orientated so as, as you said, at Sandstein, Saxonia is protecting our nutslings, which is really scary to me still. But uh, we also have this huge limestone cliffs with bolts, of course. Mm-hmm. And as soon as you can protect yourself, you do it. That was, you know, and then there is this alpine background from generations like Hermann Bull, and people reading about it. People are, you um, you know, the alpine climbing has a strong... To- the Eiger North Face, for example, was always on my list to do. I finally get it done last year twice in a month because I thought it was so great. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I think that kind of alpine climbing has a stronger tradition in Europe than in, than in the States. And I always thought it would be great to get... My higher, my level on climbing, what I, what I'm able to do on the ground into the higher alpine. And that was actually always a big dream for myself to go to the Himalayas and Mm -hmm. to not suffer like on an 8,000 meter peak and shuffling snow and waiting and waiting for weather windows. Um, I prefer being there with a small team in light and fast alpine style mm-hmm. and if it's two of us for example in 2013 we climbed an unclimbed peak so that was a 2000 or pretty much 6000, 6000 feet phase we climbed almost in a day and i remember we could not top out because it's it got steeper at the end of the phase we had to there was some technical pitches and we ended up getting into the dark and could not just get over the lip because the snow was so loose and soft and the yeah, cornice was just huge massive and we were like holy shit how can we make it down again here with you know only one rope and not a lot of gear so we ended up doing this crazy beebuck in the in in the coldest season of the year was early winter sitting on the snowy ledge waiting for daylight shivering all night me and my friend Thomas Senf, and it's just been horrible and we've been thinking we kept thinking the entire night how could we make it above that cornice which is normally you know i can climb steep i can climb hard but climbing like loose soft overhanging sure. snow is kind of almost impossible to, no, it's impossible to protect and at the same time it seemed impossible to us to climb. But then the next morning with the first light we noticed there were some spots where the uh, cornice was not as big and the snow was a little like um, easier to climb there because the sun touched it at some point. So we finally made it and... I did the uh, final push to the summit as well, uh, unfortunately without my partner because he had his frostbitten toes already from that horrible night, and but we had to traverse over uh, below the summit anyways to get down on the other side so he has been waiting for me in the tent getting trying to get his feet warm and i topped out on an unclimbed peak i, I never climbed a summit before which wasn't climbed earlier so that was a pretty uh, special moment to so
1: me. when you say like you woke up in the morning and yeah. saw this way kind of around the cornice and then you soloed that
0: no we we I climbed on the rope. Oh. I let that pitch, but you still the there top, wasn't yeah. much gear. Yeah, it was kind of scary climbing, but yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So then
1: what happened? So then you're, you're standing on top. No, that was still not the you. top. That oh, okay. wasn't the
0: top. That was still a long ridge, right. traversing below the um, top, and right. then another maybe 600 feet or six, 700 feet to the summit. Easier climbing.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. and you went up there by yourself?
0: I went up there by myself because my friend kind of convinced me I was yeah. like I couldn't leave without him you mm-hmm. know we made mm-hmm. it as far as a team and I t- that team has always been really important to me and climbing alone never was kind of something I was into it right but he he also mentioned for some reason hey we are so close, and I can't make it. But I, and I have to wait here anyways to get my feet warm. And I ended up doing it myself, which was not super hard, but still, in the high alpine being alone, uh, there is no space for any mistake. And mm-hmm. but yeah, it worked out, and we had this kind of me too, this kind of um, frostbite. And, fingers and toes mm-hmm. i finally noticed and it showed me how close this kind of it's kind of a game sometimes mm-hmm. i thought once i noticed i might get frostbitten fingers or toes i just stop immediately and, and and walk down right but i didn't notice that I, I could yeah we've been suffering for almost three days and lost power energy and for some reason i didn't notice but Right. It's been close to lose a finger or two.
1: What was the descent like? So you went back down, the other side,
0: rappelling, glacier, traveling, all that stuff. It's been easier than the route, but it's still, yeah.
1: Yes, with frost, I mean, if if your partner is suffering with frostbite, then nothing's easy anymore.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So did you, how many more days did it take to get down?
0: Uh, One day only. Okay, Mm -hmm. one
1: day. So like four or five days total?
0: Three and a half. Okay. We've been, I think we've been lucky that it was as short the mm-hmm. time we, we took us on the mountain, otherwise it would have had way be, way worse right. with us. Right. Right. Yeah.
1: So that, that kind of setup, other than the fact that you guys didn't sum, sum it together, is that kind of like an ideal objective and a way, style of, of doing it for you? Is that, is that kind of like what you're after when you go into the big mountains?
0: Of course not. I mean, the idea is to, to climb a route and to summit together. Right. And, yeah, it's been a new kind of situation for me. Mm-hmm. And I did not enjoy the summit as much as I would have get up there with my friend. Right. But it's still been a very special moment. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and in terms of style, like you, I kind of asked you just to casually... Uh, last night I said I asked if you'd ever climbed Everest. I don't know why I asked <laughs> what that. What a
0: question, Chris! <laughs> I know, and, and you're just
1: like, "No, are you kidding me?" So yeah, so describe that in terms mm-hmm. of um, you know you come from a, a certain tradition, and maybe that influenced it, but then partially you know your personal attitude and your personal desires influenced mm-hmm. it. Um, but again, like, what's what's the ideal setup for you in terms of how to climb
0: in the mountains? Yeah, you know. I have been in Scotland a few times and and did some did climb some pretty hard mixed routes there so I think I was ready for um some alpine traditional climbing real technical climbing mm-hmm. so this is what I'm still looking for beautiful lines on higher peaks maybe not higher than 20 25000 feet but still yeah, you know, you're still able to climb there and to avoid the higher risk of being on an 8,000 meter peak. Um, and I love this remote places where we are the only team and not having another 10 parties next to us mm-hmm. or with us and dealing with that kind of, I've been in Yosemite Valley this, this fall and I was kind of annoyed about the crowd changed a lot in the past 10 years and um, it's been a good training for Patagonia of course but when I'm trying to find those special goals for me to go either in the Himalayas or in Baffin Island and I have been in North Africa, Morocco and in yeah uh, Kyrgyzstan and, and of course in Norway and Scotland and all these places but it's always been Quiet just me and the small team and the beautiful line. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm kind of focused on There was a mountain in Kyrgyzstan. I've been attempted twice that mountain is about Almost 20,000 feet high and this line has been attempted in total maybe 15 times and it's it's never been climbed to the top. And we almost climbed it to the top, but got into a storm and, and had to had to get down mm-hmm. the route. So now I know it's possible because we did all the hard stuff. But still we did not climb to the top and that right. is kinda that summit that mountain Kisel Asker is still kinda bothering me. I wish someone would have climbed it in the past. Um, four years since we haven't been there but it's so you don't still unclean, so that way so... then you don't have to <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but it seems we now we, we have to it's time to go again and right. then I'm gonna go next no this fall actually uh-huh. mm-hmm.
1: well you know again you're, you're talking about small team climbing whether it's just you and another person or maybe you and a couple people what do you think is what you look for in a partner for these these things um, because it seems to me like it's one thing to go rock climbing with someone and have a certain level of trust and a certain level of uh, understanding of that person's abilities, even if you're just going to... I mean, even you and I climbing yesterday, you know, has we have to trust each other. But when you go to these big peaks, you have to you sort of have to look for so much more out of a partner. Yeah. So, like, who've been some of your, you know, most trusted partners the people that you you want to go back again and again with and what did they bring to mm-hmm. the table that mm-hmm. that made them those people
0: mm-hmm.
1: and maybe what do you bring to the table do you think yeah. in terms of why yeah. they want to go back with you or why you've been successful
0: you know most climbers i know they climb with they always more or less the same climbing partner mm-hmm. they're like a close team to each other maybe uh, a yeah they run a relationship or whatever um, but I usually like to climb with different people. I like to explore new mentalities. Mm -hmm. But of course, you have to know each other really well before you're going to go to a big mountain. And one of my favorite climbing partners is because he is a longtime friend. I call him even when I have a normal life problem. Okay. (laughs) And (laughs) Those
1: annoying normal life problems. Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He's uh, living in Switzerland and does alpine photography. Thomas Senf, Mm -hmm. he's a really talented climber on top being a high-end photographer. and Yeah, he understands also, beside the climbing part, he understands that kind of business because I'm a professional climber. Mm -hmm. I kind of make my my life with climbing. And so it's like a a perfect constellation of he can sell the photos. I do climb the hard stuff Mm -hmm. and we share, you know, this kind of moments where you have to dis doing decisions he has a lot of lot of experience and I really trust him mm-hmm. on these kind of decisions because yeah I don't want to lose my life I really lo- love living I love climbing mm-hmm. I love being with my friends but at the same time I don't climb with with risky people mm-hmm. who always you know further than you want to actually push it right
1: and actually this might be a hard question to answer um, but when you have been in situations where you've had to turn around and um, or decisions like you talked about in that other story of you know was that the same guy um, that you just talked about yeah with the feet and going yeah 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 so what's his name again say Thomas okay Mm -hmm. so When you're on these climbs, what, what, maybe you can describe specific situations, but what leads you to being, you know, this is, we're done, you know, we have to turn around. And have you ever, you know, and and have you ever, like, really struggled with that decision? Or is it like a lightning bolt? Like, oh, this is over. We're going down now. Or... I mean, um, you must have struggled with like, well, my f- hands are only this frostbite. Maybe I can last this much longer or, or uh, anything yeah, like that. Of
0: course. Yeah. I think that kind of, it's always, intuition has always been part of it. But mm-hmm. I think intuition all only grows with experience. Mm-hmm. And um, as more you climb in the alpine, as more you notice those, Certain dangers, and I think in my beginnings of climbing, I wasn't so worried about dangerous dangerous situations. I kind of tried to keep this part away, and I was so annoyed and pissed about, you know, failing mm-hmm. some somewhere. But yeah, pretty soon I noticed that's part of of life, that's part of climbing, and now it's not as frustrating for me anymore. I think it's a kind of a strength you you are able to return and it's kind of, you talk to each other in that moment and you collect the positives and the negatives and at the end you make a decision and when you're with a person like I'm with Thomas on a climb it's pretty much, we, we have the pretty much same kind of uh, attitude and approach and So that makes things way easier Mm -hmm. than being with people who push it more or would kind of get crazy before it gets hard, you know. It's always, when you see it gets hard and when it comes to a point where you start suffering, like we did in that entire night, it's easy to complain and to push your partner down without wanting to do that. But once you start complaining, you do it. And that's always been a huge um plus on being with Thomas. He never complains, and it's even scary sometimes when I noticed he got this first bite and toes, but he was still kind of "Ah, that's fine, that's fine. I wasn't sure if he was fine, so yeah, that's another point you ha- you have to know the person you're with very well to listen in between the letters,
1: sure. Yeah. To know whether he's just saying he's okay when he's really suffering. Yeah. Cause you have like responsibilities right.
0: for each other. Right. That's for sure.
1: So another hard question for you is that, you know, I asked it about what you look for in partners and what they bring to the table. And, um, what do you think that your strengths are when it comes to this type of climbing in terms of, you know, here you are sitting, um, we're going to talk about an accident you had, but you are, Alive after being through i 'm sure a bunch of difficult ascents, and where one slip could have been the other other direction, so what do you think you you excel at when you 're up in the mountains and why uh, why you 've been successful
0: I think it 's not just me being successful sometimes it is when you go climbing a hard route in in Scotland. Uh, which was done by Dave McLeod 10 years ago and hasn't been retempted mm-hmm. more than t- two or three times. But at the same time, there is this guy who gave me the belay, mm-hmm. my friend Simon, and, and kept pushing me and motivating me. Even we've been climbing in a hailstorm. It's been horrible. Mm-hmm. So I didn't thought that would be possible, but he kept me convincing, and so that was pretty much part of the uh of the success right. and that what makes a team strong on a mountain i think when you notice okay this is kind of loose shitty terrain where i am weak with to be honest uh, because i started late with climbing but my climbing partner thomas started climbing when he was a kid so he's doing so well with that shit so it that's it his kind of lead and when it becomes to get steeper ice or mixed uh, terrain he gives me the go so and the same happened when when I go climbing with Mayans with Gobat in mm-hmm. Patagonia she is the way stronger crack cl- climber but I, I am more into that kind of mixed and ice terrain so once it will get harder for crack climbing, it's your goal, and, and you have to recognize those, you know, specific st- strengths of people and to let them go when right. it's their terrain. Right. And that's what makes a team strong, I think. Right. It's not just, I want to go. Right, it's my, go, lead it's my or, lead. Yeah, it's It's right, about, yeah. yeah I want yeah. the glory. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, and that's kind of the plan down there. Is you guys are going to be be trying to do a, what's primarily a rock climb, but there's some concern about the top of it uh, having been so icy in the in previous ascents that that it's it's not ever been free climbed or ice climbed either way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the strategy, at least loosely. You're looking at is is, is you're going to hope maybe be able to pull out the tools up there and and get through that part while she might be able to fire the hardest crack pitches and rock climbing pitches.
0: That's the idea, more or less.
1: Yeah, awesome.
0: I mean, if we had more time, we could... Or if we, you know, with the weather in Patagonia... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of course, we we try to send both, all the pitches, but that will...
1: Yeah, that, the that, that the makes, teachers. right. That makes sense on like, on El Cap in September when the sun's yeah. out and like, you have all the time in the world. Yeah, let's both try the pitch. You know, I think that, that'll be a hard row. Uh, in Patagonia, and maybe maybe the sun will just shine and every day. And I wish it was sports yeah. bras just up there <laughs> climbing away. Have you ever climbed with Mayan? I mean, on anything big before?
0: We've climbed um, unclimbed route in the Coastal Mountain Range in Canada this summer. Okay, or last summer, and with a friend from Canada, Paul Megsoli. And that was just a three days trip, mm-hmm. alpine climb, pretty exposed alpine climb. We used ice gear, we used rock shoes, so we used pretty much everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it worked out pretty well.
1: Right. So then you maybe kind of started to see a glimpse of what was possible.
0: Exactly. And right. we kept going climbing further north in Canada that trip, and we noticed, yeah, we do work pretty well together, and mm-hmm. yeah, we finally became friends and. Right good climbing partners
1: and she's half German
0: she's half German we yeah. could speak German which makes like, life way easier for yeah.
1: me <laughs> <laughs> your English is excellent um, although I know last night you wanted to do this in the morning when your brain was fresh instead of doing it after
0: after two glasses of red yeah, wine being uh, almost <laughs> drunk <laughs> it's funny because I
1: get my uh, foreign languages get better after two glasses of red wine so especially my Spanish a few beers in me and I could you think I'd, I was from Mexico but um, or at least I I Come think. on. I sound like I was from Mexico. But uh, it's like shooting pool. Shooting pool is the same way. The more you drink, the better you get. Um, bowling probably as well, but that's neither here nor there. So, but yeah, so you also, like in that, in that, um, that talk you just did when I asked you about your strengths, you kind of did actually go to both sides of it. But what do you think in terms of you, you as a climber, like, other than technically okay the crack climbing is my job or the really hard stuff anyway um what do you think in terms of attitude or whatever that maybe you found like a repeated sort of weakness where your partners have to be like and that's like listen to me let's talk or or anything like that do you, have you ever examined maybe like some of the things that you probably could improve on in terms of approach, attitude—not necessarily climbing ability—because we all want to, you know, do this harder, climb boulders harder, or whatever. But
0: mm-hmm.
1: you ever thought a little bit more about that?
0: I think I don't get that one really.
1: Like, what are your weaknesses? What are what do you think is is something that I'm
0: not patient? I'm okay. such an unpatient. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, I'm Sorry. a really unpa- terrible unpatient person. I thought for uh, for a while being making my living with mountain guiding. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm sure I would be terrible with that. I,
1: I <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny you say that because when I was a guide, um, uh, we had a uh, there was another guy Bob who was who was like the best. I think he's still guiding mm-hmm. like 20 some years later. Like, and I used to call him uh, Bobus Erectus. Like uh, I said, he was a new species of human that had been bred to guide because he had infinite patience. Like he was the most patient man I have ever met in my entire life. Mm -hmm. And that's what made him a great guide. And he had clients returning again and again again Mm -hmm. and again and again, because I would just see him you know plodding along and just it was amazing and yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah the patience is so huge in guiding so that was a good call not getting any <laughs> guiding
0: <laughs> and i actually started to lo- like ice climbing when i noticed it's way more fun when you climb faster mm-hmm. and when you have mm-hmm. fast partners and i got so annoyed when i climbed with people who took them forever to climb a pitch because ice climbing is it's cold it's mm-hmm. kind of unpleasant it's kind of oh when you have to wait that long you get really really worried and bummed and annoyed so that's pretty much what i you know when it comes to the winter to the ice climbing season Mm -hmm. there's the people i climb with is are completely different people than the people i climb with in summer okay because there's those really strong rock climbers at my place my really good friends and there's those super strong ice climbers and but still they don't climb maybe super hard on rock and Mm -hmm. and ice climbing is their thing so that's why I also change with the seasons I kind of change my climbing Mm -hmm. partners and I still try to convince my closest friends to start ice climbing, but they're all like, "No way." Yeah, no, <laughs> it's I'm not, not very popular in Europe anymore since the global warming, and the season's so short, right. and you have to be just ready when the ice is there. And that was the last year's pretty uh, tough for me as well, being ready for one trip by the end of the season. For example, in Norway or in Scotland, and training for months just for that single trip and then not even knowing before if it was happen, if there right. was any ice. but yeah, so so far it still worked out, but it gets a little frustrating right the uh, global warming
1: right at least in Europe. So do you have um, friends, partners who who like you know, when they say like settle down, relax for a minute, do you like accept that? Cause no. No. <laughs> so they just put up with with you like buzzing around. No, no. It's been great because you've been like on cooking and like just yeah. getting up out of in the morning, even in the last two days. Yeah, so Yeah. So right. la- lazy you know, people like me can like yeah. h- hitch on to people like you and just let you get everything done.
0: <laughs> no, you did not. <laughs> you know, my schedule at home is quite tight because most of the time I'm at home with my son, Emmanuel, and he mm-hmm. goes to school at... He leaves my house ten to seven and he comes back home at around two o'clock and That's my window where i I'm going to climb right and It's been kind of hard to to get people convinced climbing. Go for sport climb that early, you know. Right.
1: Let's yeah, yeah, meet at wanna, 7. Yeah, you want to drink wanna, some coffee, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like sport like, climbers. They, you know. Let's start
0: around yeah, 10 and then my time would be over before right. I would warm up. Warmed right. up. So, <laughs> but there's those other parents I, yeah. I go climbing with and they have to get their kids to school and we have to right. be home for mm-hmm. making lunch. And yeah, it's, it's uh, I think I figured out a pretty, Good way of living, climbing, being there for my son, Mm -hmm. and um, supporting him without um, without stepping back on my own climbing goals. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, in the last few uh, last couple days, uh, you've sort of mentioned this accident that occurred. You said it was about eleven years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, Can we talk a little bit about that? Because it, you know, you brought it up a couple times just in conversation. So obviously. It was a uh, it was a big deal at the time and and I don't know are you still feeling recovery from it or
0: my foot is my ankle is still kind of okay. um, how do you say oh, this
1: yeah I should put the mic down there as you just <laughs> twisted it around I heard a bunch of noise come out of there so
0: <laughs> yeah but it gets better and better actually right. okay. and after that happened it's been a long long whipper on him. Face, you shouldn't fall. Okay. It's been the Marmolada south face. It's almost 800 meters high, and we the ah, fish on the fish, oh, the fish. Okay. on the fish. And the weather wasn't supposed to be good enough for doing it in a day, and there was storms supposed to come in, and we thought, ah, oh, well, we we can do it in half a day or something. Stupid idea came up, so <laughs> we ended up climbing, starting climbing very early in the dark, and. I kind of got lost on the uh, easier pitches. I think it was the seventh pitch.
1: Well, wait, let me, uh, let's just set, set it up, because this is a very famous route. Yeah. Um, what is it in Italian? The, the What is fish in Italian?
0: Uh, via la pesca.
1: Yeah, so the fish in English, and uh, a huge route, traditional um and it's, but it's on limestone, mm-hmm. and so when you start protecting, or when you start climbing traditional routes on limestone, they be, they are almost always a hundred percent really run out because, you know, you're finding weird little pegs. At yeah. least the original ascent yeah. are yeah. little pegs and pockets and mm-hmm. trying to wiggle in strange pieces because there's not really a lot of cracks.
0: The route is well known for that. Yeah, yeah. so
1: that's kind of what we're setting mm-hmm. up here. And I, mm-hmm. I don't, it's fairly famous. Even uh, somebody who who pays attention to climbing in Europe knows about this route but in the states probably not mm-hmm. such a, a famous route but yeah. it's and it's five twelve, like 7c seven 7c seven plus no not, not even
0: 7b plus okay so,
1: so 12c very
0: technical climbing but and poor and gear and yeah, scary yeah. yeah and long and long yeah. yeah okay so and so the first part So
1: you're wandering around and that I think is I, I stopped you there because having done nothing close to that hard but climbed on limestone on tradition Without the bolts of a sport climb or of even a bolted, you know, more traditional climb, it's really... Hard to find your way if you're not used to it because there's no crack to follow.
0: Yeah, of course. So
1: when you started talking about getting off route, I instantly <laughs> knew what you're up against, especially in the dark.
0: Yeah, you yeah. Know, yeah.
1: Uh, just looking up and just, it's just an empty blank yeah. wall. Yeah, there's true. not a shiny bolt up there to aim no. for. <laughs> yeah, so.
0: Yeah, we we actually um, did some harder alpine climbs before, of course. Okay. So it was not my first bigger climb, but still, I, I think I wasn't ready for it. And okay. I, I, we ended up being in a rush and getting. Uh, (laughs) Started to climb the easy stuff, but very loose stuff. Mm -hmm. Uh, Still in the dark, and I got kind of lost in the easy, great four pitch, and protected myself on. I thought it was a good crack and another crack, and kept going. and uh, And finally, when I finally realized I have been climbing on a huge flake, it was close to where I came from. But it ended up getting really far away from the rock on the other side. Okay. And the moment I noticed I was on a flake, the whole thing came off with my body weight. And I pulled all the gear off, like one, two, three, four pieces came oh off. God. The anchor did not come off, luckily, as we were. And so I fell onto the anchor, past my friend, and I think I did a 20 meters whipper which is more than 60 feet yes on easy terrain so it wasn't even vertical it's just been you know slightly slabby or whatever and i hit the ground not the ground of course like a ledge or the rock with my leg and noticed well that wasn't a good one (laughs) but i still thought oh it hurts a little i could maybe just try stepping on it and climb up to my climbing partner and we could keep going <laughs> my, my first my, my chris my first thing was in my head shit we lost five minutes on that climb you know right yeah Because that was 20 meters i have climbed before already yeah and i noticed as soon as i tried to step on my foot oh wow this is not good
1: so this is actually a perfect this story is a perfect segue from from impatient
0: yeah probably Impatience. yeah so <laughs> so yeah So uh, the time I started to put pressure on my leg had to step on it i got almost passed out cuz it's been so painful and i was like okay breathing breathing and then this cloud came in and then the helicopter couldn't pick us up cuz the ropes were destroyed just the 20 meters i was hanging on were mm-hmm. still there and my partner had a little injury but not as bad as i am so he pulled me up and we've been we kept waiting hours and hours for a helicopter did he
1: get hit with the rock or did he, he get he got he get hit, hit on on the on the catch
0: he you No, know, he got hurt from the uh, piece of rope, okay. which not the entire piece, but of a course, chunk. a chunk of a piece, yeah. but that wasn't so bad. Because so sometimes
1: catching a humongous whipper like that mm-hmm. can be so forceful, even on a belay, you can get slammed and people have broken bones just, yeah. just catching somebody.
0: So I've been actually lucky. He was a really experienced climber okay, and good. a mountain guide, so he knew all this kind of rescue s- stuff, and yeah, we figured it out to get a helicopter and fly down by the time we almost got um, (laughs) frostbite hypothermic yeah yeah. Yeah. and yeah and when I went to the hospital the doctors just said it's over with climbing for you that looks kind of shit and I was like oh no this is not gonna happen
1: (laughs) doctors say that all the time (laughs) yeah I have so many friends who've, who've like blown up a bone or broken something and the doctor's the first thing oh you're done climbing it's like, and then they. But
0: it could have been. Right. I wouldn't be convinced. I could climb again. Yeah, and, but why tell you that?
1: Why not just let you like, you know, heal and do some, You know, like
0: they probably it's like the think first,
1: it seems like it's the first thing they say.
0: They probably think it's just a sport for you. Right, like they right. do play golf or tennis, right. but it's not just a sport for us. It's right. so different. Yeah, it's our life. It's the community. It's so much more than just a sport, and that's what doctors probably don't notice. Right. by the time they tell you that's over for now yeah
1: so what was the recovery like
0: four months later three months later I was able finally to step on my foot the first Mm -hmm. time it was quite long I had some surgeries and but four or five months later because I could start training for the next ice climbing world cup already but you know my hands were totally fine just do some (laughs) pull-ups
1: and do some camping on your tool I did so many pull-ups
0: you can't imagine and then in five months later there was this world cup really over good for me a really steep route Mm -hmm. that by the time I, I came back and yeah I won it again so I thought that's good Nice. I, I'm not able to hike for long, you know, long hikes on slopey terrain with icy stuff and crampons.
1: Right. So where your feet are we're at st- an angle yeah, all the time. Yeah. It was
0: still... That took me a while to that come back to that. That kills me and I have never broken my <laughs> ankle. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fine now. I can do that.
1: So with the with the, the World Cup, you know, where was it kind of a, a, a situation where like that boot, you know, Relatively stiff. Even even the the modern sort of ice climbing boots could just like yeah. clamp it down, and you were able to the yeah. edge using kind of the support of the boot. And
0: I remember like I did most of the route on figure of force. Right? Right. I didn't need my ankle Just anyways. Right, if it's
1: steep, right? Your feet aren't doing anything anyway, so...
0: Yeah, but <laughs> well, it teaches me...
1: but... You wouldn't have done half of those pull-ups either if you hadn't wrecked <laughs> your ankle, so it probably worked out in the end that, yeah. you, that you won because of this ankle.
0: <laughs> but I learned a lesson with that accident. Yeah. I was kind of super psyched and always motivated and not listening too much to the... Uh, you know, risk of mountains and weather and, you know, it teached me a lesson for sure, sure.
1: Sure, Yeah, calm down a little bit. It seems like with, you know, and that would have put you at about 30 because it was 10 or, 10 or 11 years ago. So it seems like there has to be uh, some cooling, whether it's because of an accident or whether you just, you know, your, your mind does it for you but I think for people to survive Mm -hmm. that play the games that you play there has to be some moment where that fire of youth or whatever matures into this more calculated and listening to the situation so you know the fact that it was as painful as that but you didn't die then you know I guess it was probably all for the best that you know it was a wake up and now here you are 10 years later still Still doing it. So, um, yeah, pretty heavy, you know, you've got this moment where you were forced to, to learn a lesson. Can you talk about in your career, some, ascents where maybe, um, you learned other lessons or, you know, if, if you were to like list your resume mm-hmm. and we, we'd see all these, you know, hundreds of climbs and some were really hard. Some weren't so hard. What would you see on that list? where you'd say that time was special and that ascent was special?
0: I think I've been starting freeing routes um, pretty early to a time where other climbers and not even any female climber started to think about it. So there was a route on the Eiger North Face we climbed in 2003, and we worked on the free ascent, and we did it after um, a few days. Six seven days working the route, Mm -hmm. and it's been uh, Symphonie de Liberté. It's been the hardest route on the on the north face. By the time we climbed it, and it's still thirteen A or thirteen B, and I think that was that was something I would put on my highlight list Mm -hmm. because I could always kind of turn off this fears. On big cliffs, as bigger a cliff, I noticed pretty soon as bigger a cliff was, I as less scared I was and Mm -hmm. as more motivated and and pushed I felt. So my friends always said, you have to climb a grade higher on sport climbing before you go into the alpine and climb there. But for me, it's been always the opposite. I always climbed harder on a big face than on a sport climb. Okay. So, and... That finally was the reason I went to the uh, Grande Chima and and climbed a really hard route there. It's called Camelotto Pellicier. It took me an entire summer. But yeah, again, it's been fun to repeat routes and to do maybe a first ascent of a a first free ascent of of a existing route. Mm -hmm. But putting up new routes became more and more important for my life you know this kind of challenge you don't know if possible or not and i finally climbed a lot of new routes in norway but one of them i'm i think i'm quite proud of cuz it's been attempted in some norwegian local climbers mind only uh-huh. <laughs> they never did it but they thought we could maybe do it once we are ready to do it in tr- traditional style but they never attempted for it so far and I was like I might be able to do it and yeah I did it and it's so unrepeated it's been three years ago uh-huh. and there was this lucky moment where and unfortunately they're really rare <laughs> rare, in and, and, for example, in my life, those moments where you just get over your fears, you know, the gear is shitty, you know, that kind of traverse is, there's no fall allowed. But instead of getting crazy, getting nervous, I kept climbing really calm and, and, um, very, how you call it?
1: smoothly smoothly and,
0: yeah. and without getting worried and right, you know getting this, right
1: not getting shaky yeah <laughs> getting, right.
0: and that was so necessary for that part because that was just this two millimeter smear of ice on the vertical slab and no gear and and if i would have start getting shaky i would have fall off and yeah i did that kind of run out to the big ice fall and I noticed that was that was pretty much the crux and right. it's kinda over but there was still this three hundred meters steep ice line above us and me and that Norwegian friend um, were on the route that morning and that day and he was he said I help you, I do I he convinced me doing it. He supported me, but at the same time he said I'm you know, I'm just a mountain guide I, I can do easier ice climbs but I'm not so much into harder stuff so you're gonna go and I finally took the lead I was pretty glad uh, happy I could take that lead and but it took us three times to get him Following that pitch, because it was a traverse. Right. Yeah. With poor gear.
1: Right. So it's, sh- we say it's sharp at both ends. Uh, yeah. It's yeah. been
0: sharp at his ends for yeah. sure as well. So it took him three years, but finally we topped out in the middle of the night, climbing the last six pitches in the dark. But yeah, we did it. And that's some of those routes. I kind of, I feel kind of happy with. We called it Finn Mannen, because mm-hmm. next to it, it's a, the Finn wife. And he's the male guy now, so it's right. a climb for real men, I think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so did you, uh, when you, uh, I want to ask you this question real quick, is when you were recovering from the fall on the fish, how long later was this, or was this before that?
0: This was way before that. Oh, okay, it was My, way yeah, before yeah, that. Yeah.
1: So you didn't have that floating in your head when you went across that traverse. Cause no didn't...
0: that's over now right. I I, I had have... me it took me a while yeah. to get over this kind of feeling the entire rock just moves apart from sure. the mountain with you and it took me quite a while but I I think the reason it started to become to become better was I immediately started climbing again mm-hmm. and it's been scary the first times even on sport climbs even on gym climbing but I had to work on that and I know just... If I keep working on that, I can kind of over at some point.
1: And when and when you say working on it, um, just gradually letting go of of this of ideas of getting hurt, or did you do anything specific? Because actually, people ask me that all the time about, well, how do you get over fear of falling mm-hmm. and anything else? Do you think it just was repetition that got you through it, and having safe climbs? i'm not gonna fall i'm not gonna fall
0: yeah exactly I, I, and you have to accept that there is this fear once you are above your last piece and mm-hmm. but let your fear kind of exist but still keep moving and remember this is not a loose piece of rock right but at the same time i'm still worried once there is a massive flake somewhere attached to a mountain I really avoid that now. Right. So, but as soon as the rock has a good quality, um, I could kind of get over that fear with...
1: So you let like logic overcome the fear. Like, look, this is solid. I know this is solid. And that doesn't mean anything. Yeah. That's just this pretend thing that stuck in your head. Mm -hmm. And I guess, yeah, just doing successfully doing that over and over again probably makes that voice get quieter and yeah, quieter yeah. yeah so and that's kind of what I've told people about what I know though as far as all the climbers in the world I'm probably more scared falling than most or a lot of them um, but yeah it just seems like you have to have successful you know overcome it successfully over and over and over again to get that to diminish um, yeah,
0: exactly yeah that's how it is
1: but then you know you don't want it gone completely Cause sometimes it's a warning you that don't be stupid here. This is actually really dangerous, (laughs) you know? Um, well, cool. Last question then. Uh, what, what? What do you have for goals? You're headed down to Patagonia. What's the name of the route you're attempting? You'll it's, have you'll have you'll have gone and come back by the time this comes out, so we'll know how it went. But
0: yeah, it's uh, called Riders on the Storm, okay. and it's been on my list to do for uh, ages. I have seen photos from that German team Wolfgang Göllig, Kurt Albert, and Bernd Arnold and friends have done the first descent 25 years ago now. Okay. Which has been a pretty amazing effort by the time they, they did it. But yeah, they had those Patagonian conditions for more than two months and been, yeah, they put up a really amazing route, but it's a uh, not free climb.
1: And it's somewhat remote compared it's to on, a lot of stuff down there, right?
0: It's on Torres Central and one of those three tourists, the central one. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of remote. Once you left the normal trail, right? I think there's a lot of people hiking, like normal tourists, oh, okay. but still not of not a lot of traffic on the climbs. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, when you were talking about that being part of your desire, and then talking about having been in Yosemite, which is the opposite of that, but then I'm, you know, more and more with with certain roots in Patagonia, not necessarily in Pine, but other, the whole area, there are certain routes now that are just, when the weather opens, you know, there's a lot of people climbing on them. And I can only imagine that, you know, when you're in Yosemite, like, okay, I get it. There's a, this is a city. There's people here. But I imagine it can be fairly disappointing to people who've dreamed of, you know, what, in all the books and the legends and everything, is a remote climbing experience you know to turn up with like oh the argentinians are here the spanish are here a couple americans are here like and everybody's like literally jockeying to get on the climb so you know
0: that's a lottery a little bit but i think the route has been maybe attempted 10 times since the last 25 years and only maybe climbed five times sure. to the top.
1: So you got a pretty good shot at being up there.
0: Uh, yeah, I guess on a
1: quiet side of the I mountain. I guess. Actually. And
0: then again, we are girls, you know, if there are other guys, they have to let us go. <laughs>
1: yeah. You can use the old, <laughs> old chivalry thing for you that time. So what do, what do you, what else do you have? I mean, you're, you're, uh, you're a professional climber. Um, what other kind of, without maybe being specific, because I don't know, a lot of people don't like to show their hand beforehand, but, just in terms of wide goals in your climbing, what do you think is uh, out there this
0: next few years? I I I still have this dream since ages again to go to the Antarctica to Queen Maud We've figured out an unclimbed mountain, a really steep face. Nobody nobody has been there and I wish I had a chance to do that one day. Right. It's still the question of Budget. Yeah, it's, it's a really a big expensive yeah. place to yeah. go. <laughs> um, but that's space on my space
1: is only more expensive. Like actually flying into space is probably the yeah. the only thing that's more expensive <laughs> to get to.
0: And there's other um, places I haven't been yet. So Alaska is on my higher end of the list. Let's see the Kichatna Range, mm-hmm. for example. And ah, there's so much more stuff to right. do. Himalayas. Uh, yeah, maybe going for a high 7,000 meters peak with a good friend and a really, um, really good and experienced and motivated alpine climber. He's still young and f- from, but from Slovenia. Okay. <laughs> that tells a little bit. Yeah, about. right. That's, those <laughs> tough. Are... They have tough guys. Yeah, there. <laughs>
1: totally. Yeah, but they're famous for being pretty, pretty tough. Uh, so, might be a good, might be a good mix someone Probably. with some more maturity someone with a you know go for it no matter what attitude might be okay. a, might be a good partnership
0: yeah who knows um, so i'm never planning trips more than a year in advance sure, so sure. it's kind of let's let's get patagonia done and then let's go to kyrgyzstan next or china actually it's the summit is in china mm-hmm. to kisiel Oscar, um again the third time I hope it's gonna work and mm-hmm. we'll see what happened after
1: do you ever just go on a sport climbing vacation
0: no <laughs> <laughs> that's boring <laughs> <laughs> I have done that when my son was very tiny like right. a little boy right. you know he took grandma and went to Kalimnos that, right. that's what you're gonna do I soon, hope so I yeah <laughs> And but yeah he loves sport climbing so if i would go only with him
1: yeah so you might you might have to go on a sport climbing vacation coming up here it's not it's
0: not the worst (laughs) doing that
1: (laughs) awesome well let's uh try to go climbing in this kind of cold weather here yeah i'm Um, psyched pitches in before you got to go back up to salt lake thanks for sitting down
0: thank you chris for spending these days with me and sharing some good climbs right on
1: Thanks for sitting down and a little report on the Patagonia trip. She actually left for Patagonia just a couple days after we recorded this and they have since returned, long returned. Um, I've got a link to some information about that at normalcast.com. Um, they did not end up freeing the climb. They did the climb, which was, they think, the fifth descent of the route. Uh, but things were running with water, so they were neither free climbable as a rock climb or ice climbable. But they gave it a hell of an effort and uh, had a full on Patagonia experience. I'm sure there'll be a bunch of media about it eventually, but there's a few things out there, so head over to Enormacast.com and check out the links I've posted on Inez's page. And while you're there, why not just click on the Help Out tab and see what you can do to help this thing keep going? going the EnormaCast, cast struggling along here with the new regime but i'm certain we'll get this thing smoothed out and keep going so hopefully you're out there having fun and climbing and being inspired by this wonderful spring a little wet here in colorado but still things are happening so while you're out there having fun you're also being safe i hope and hopefully you've learned by now to check your knots. Into this house we're born
0: Into this world we're thrown